0: Uh, let us read from Scripture. So today's reading is taken from a few parts. The first part is from Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the end, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Uh, the second reading is taken from proverbs twenty four thirty to thirty four. I passed by the field of a sluggard by the wineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and the stone wall was broken down then I saw and considered it I look and receive instruction a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man And the last reading's taken from 1 Corinthians 15:50 50 to 58 And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the reading of God.
1: And I have the privilege, all, of speaking to you this morning. Uh, And it's about wisdom as we conclude our series because one of the strange things about life is that the things that matter most to us are the things that we don't think about very regularly. Uh, And so we don't challenge those things that really matter. We don't challenge how they function, uh, probably because they occur every day and so we just coast on day after day after day. But when you boil down the events of life and you eliminate all the fluff and all the momentary distractions, I think there are two significant things that remain. Our relationships and our work. Our relationships with other people and our relationships with God. So how we engage with others affects us and affects them. And it has consequences for all of our lives. And of course, how we relate to God affects not just this life but all of eternity. And on occasions we do stop and ponder and think about relationships and even make huge life-changing adjustments like getting married or bringing our lives under the rule of our saviour. But most of the time in these areas we just roll on to the next interaction with our spouse, with our children, with our friends and with our God. That's relationships, and it's similar with work, too. Work consumes more hours of our week than anything else. And even after this turbulent, turbulent year of pandemic, we tend to just roll on next week the way we did last week without thinking much about it. But wisdom that we've been exploring this month in church actually involves us not just accepting what is, not just going on with the flow, but stepping back and examining what we do, because wisdom is obtained by looking at the patterns that exist. This will generally lead to that, and that being the case, if you want to have a different outcome, what you do is you change what you do. And wisdom is developed by seeing what's important and what's less important, and making the decisions that favour the important over the unimportant. But then we're left with, how do you work out what's important? And wisdom, though, in the end, is really only captured when you see the world God's way. Because wisdom, that is true wisdom, is a gift that comes only from God. And the wonderful promise from God is if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously without finding fault. So you don't have to perform to a certain level in order to get wisdom, just ask God for it. And so today, as we conclude our little series on wisdom, I've been given the topic, the important topic, of work and laziness. But I want to explore more than just work and laziness, because it's not that you have work and you have its opposite laziness. To grow in wisdom, we need to consider the purpose of work and how, if we don't think wisely about work, we end up just accepting a whole way of thinking that's wrong, and it will never lead us to wisdom. And we don't want that, do we? We want to be able to answer how important is my career, what is the purpose of my work, should I be enjoying my work, what happens if I just do the minimum that's expected, is that okay? They're the sorts of questions we want to answer. So you can see what we're going to cover in this outline. You can see that there's an awful lot of content that I want to get through today, and so what we're going to do is something I don't like doing in preaching, and that is I'm not going to give you the practical examples. You'll have to work that out for yourself, but I want us to have a framework of thinking about how to be wise when it comes to work. And when you start to think about work, there are usually two opposite reactions. The first one is you are your job. My importance, my significance, my value comes from what I do. And we all do that to some extent. We ask somebody when we meet someone for the first time, What do you do? And the answer to that shapes the way we evaluate people. So, one of the things is we treat people as if their work is all that they are. And the other extra, extreme is to think that work is necessary but I can't wait for it to be over. I can't wait for it to be over so I can enjoy the weekend. I can't wait for it to be over so that I can have a holiday. I can't wait for it to be over so that I can retire. So let's have a quick look at work, and my prayer is that this little sermon will challenge us to be wiser in how we work. And the place to start as we think about work is to recognise that work is good. And there's some reasons why work is good. You can see it on the uh, overhead behind me. Firstly, work is good because God gave it to humanity when the man and the woman were still in the Garden of Eden. That is before the fall, before this world was broken, when everything was good. Because in the Garden of Eden, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So work was created by God to be good before the world was perverted. Secondly, work is good because God's a worker and he is still at work. God works. The opening chapter of the Bible has God creating everything that exists, visible and invisible. In six days he created everything and then he rested. He rested because he had completed his work of creation but he did not cease from his work. He ceased from the work of creation, but in this broken world that we inhabit, God is still at work setting the broken world right, saving people. So in the New Testament, when Jesus turns up in John chapter 5, Jesus meets a man who has been paralysed for 38 years. Just take that in for a moment. 38 years, it's such a long time. It's just such a terrible affliction for a human. And Jesus, when he sees it, heals this man. He sets things right. And as Jesus sets things right, people challenge this action, this wonderful, kind, miraculous healing, because Jesus does it on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And Jesus responds there in chapter 5, verse 17, My father is working until now, and I am working. God is always working to set things right. And so we have the privilege of copying God as he is a worker. Thirdly, work is good because it gives you capacity to provide for others. Ephesians chapter 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. So don't do the wrong thing. Work, work hard with your hands, but what is the outcome? What is the purpose of it? So that you might benefit other people. Work is good because it gives you the capacity to bless, to benefit, to help other people. And finally, work is good because it prevents idleness, slothfulness and bad behaviour that will follow from it. Here's some of the words Uh, of people who uh, walk in idleness. For we hear that some amongst you walk in idleness, in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Or in 1 Timothy, besides that, people learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. You see, work is a gift of God that means we are employed well. We were made to be employed. We were made to use our time. And if we don't do that, we'll actually start to do unhelpful things like be gossips and idlers and busybodies. It enables you to engage in what God is doing. It's good for you and it's a benefit to other people. That's work. But now we live, all of us live outside of the Garden of Eden where every aspect of our life is corrupted and work is corrupted too. And so let's look quickly at how work is corrupted and as we see these patterns of corruption, I hope that we'll be able to learn how to become wise. So, firstly, the first form of corruption is laziness. Outside the Garden of Eden, it is so easy to hate our work, to do our best to avoid it, and to replace it with laziness, laziness that will destroy you. As Dan read us the passage before, uh, the book of Proverbs uses the word sluggard. Uh, We don't tend to use it very much, but we know what a slug is. A slug is little. It moves so slowly. It achieves nothing. It just sits there really and does very little. And you see that When we hate work, when we turn our back on work in the two passages of Proverbs that were read to us, you see that you end up being destroyed. It's so easy to become a sluggard, a sluggard who lives to sleep and to rest. And as you do that, that lifestyle so consumes you that you don't care about those things you should be responsible for. And ultimately it will lead you to poverty but it gets worse than that. Not only does laziness lead to poverty that we read about in the two passages, but it also saps any ability that you have. Hear the vivid language of Proverbs. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, tries to eat some food, but it wears him out even to bring it back to his mouth. See what laziness does? Takes all of your energy away from you. You become too lazy even to eat. And instead of facing up to the situation, once you start to walk down the pathway of the sluggard, the sluggard makes excuses for what they do. The sluggard says, oh, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. So I'll just stay here on my bed and rest and be idle. I have so many good reasons why I'm lazy. Hear the words of Proverbs and be wise from them. Work is a blessing from God. And you can see how destructive it is not to work. I want to warn you of this because the effects of laziness take time to be shown and it comes on you little by little so that you don't even notice it happening. There is an example in Proverbs. There is a full half year between laziness and seeing the result, chapter 20. Chapter 20. The sluggard doesn't plough in the autumn. He will seek at harvest six months later and have nothing. And work is also corrupted, secondly, by narrowing it down to just a financial transaction. That's all it is. Instead of seeing work as something that's a blessing to you and a blessing to other people, it becomes about a financial transaction. All that matters is that I get financially provided for. And you can see it in two ends of the spectrum. At one end, in Australia, we have, it's a great privilege we have here, the wonderful provision of unemployment benefits, or more recently, JobKeeper. And as long as the money keeps coming in, whether I work or not, or whether I work diligently or not, doesn't really matter. As long as I've got enough to live on, It's a financial transaction, everything's okay. So as long as I'm being paid for, everything's okay. The other extreme, the other end of the spectrum, is the person that has no financial need. They might have inherited money, they might have investments. So when their needs are met, they don't need to work. And the corruption is that as long as I am financially secure, I don't need to work. I can spend my whole life playing and I will become a sluggard. And so if either of those are you, hear the warnings about laziness. God has built us to work. And so some right ways of thinking about work. There are different words that you can use. Are you still with me? Good, thank you, because it's hot and it's a complex sermon. Um, there are a few words you can use that describe your work. Uh, which word describes the way you understand your work? Here is one of them. Work can be your hobby, That is something that you would do for enjoyment, even if you weren't paid for it. Now, if that's what you experience with work, you are blessed, but that's not all of us, because outside the Garden of Eden, it's by the sweat of our brow, by toil. That's the norm for work, and it's okay and normal to expect that work will be hard work. That's hobby. Work can be your career, that is, work is the direction of your life because you've had special training and it becomes your life's goal, your life's work, your life's direction. The problem with seeing work as career is it confuses the purpose of work with the task of working. The purpose of work is to be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. And if you see work as a career, it will make what I do everything that I'm about. And so you'll actually create the wrong perspective. Or the third way you can understand work is it's your vocation. Vocation is what you feel called by God to do and to be for the whole of your life. Some of us think that's what our career does. Not many of us, I think, think our job fits into that description. But vocation, the idea of vocation, is actually the right place to start. You see, each of you, when you surrendered yourself to Jesus, you took on a vocation. And the vocation that you have and that I have is the same. It's the vocation of big-noting Jesus, of living in service to him, that is your vocation. It's your lifelong ambition. It's your lifelong goal, and it does not change. You might change jobs, you might change career, but your vocation doesn't change. It's what's most important in life. And so we need to ask the question how does work, my career, my job, my hobby fit in with my vocation of living for Jesus? And I want to say your work, your job, your career is an opportunity to enact your vocation because your vocation is to live for Jesus and to serve other people and your work provides the opportunity to make that happen. You see, how you work, how you employ the resources that you bring to your work is as important as what you do. Uh, You're all grieving At the loss of Daniel and Sarah, and I'm sorry I never got to know you, but in the interview they captured it. Daniel could have spoken about all that he did at Vinnie's, all that he did at Prince of Wales. Sarah could have spoken about pharmacy as if that was the most important thing, because after all, medicine and pharmacy are really important things, aren't they? But what did they speak of? We hardly heard what Daniel did. What we heard, though, is teaching scripture. Dan asked us to pray that they would be employed by God in whatever church they go to in Canberra so that God might be glorified. That's vocation. See how work fits in there in a living example of your own brother and sister. And so to some practical tips. Wisdom, as well as enabling you to understand the bigger picture, also helps you to understand how to live in the here and now. So I want to suggest some practical tips Uh, for living wisely in the here and now as we think about the bigger picture. So firstly, the here and now. Firstly, hear the warnings from Proverbs. Laziness is infectious. You start being lazy in one area of life and it will invade every area of life. Beware of that thinking which is ever so common that I can put life into compartments. I'll excel in this one and this one I don't need to worry about very much. There is the discipline of not being lazy that will benefit every area of life. Your work, your home, your family. Because if you are lazy in any one of them, they'll creep into the other aspects of life. And if you're unemployed, or as some of you on JobKeeper have found, underemployed, what do you do? Beware of that creeping danger of being a sluggard. Keep yourself active. You can't keep yourself active in paid employment, but in being a benefit to other people. So you need to ask yourself the question, how can I use the extra time that I have are there things around church that I can do? Are there ways of serving others who are time poor because I'm not time poor? A friend of mine was in that position about 30 years ago and so he asked his minister what he could do. And the minister, who admittedly didn't give it much thought, suggested that he look after the roses on the church, plant, uh, church property. And so he did. And by doing that, he came in contact with an ethnic group that had never met Jesus And now my friend, in God's kindness, works full-time both in Australia and overseas, sharing the message of Jesus and teaching and training this ethnic group. And in their retirement, other friends of mine have said that now is the opportunity to pray. So some of my friends give up three slots of half an hour a day to pray for every child that's been born into the church and their families, for our missionaries and for our Bible study groups. You see, God gives you so many non-financial opportunities and that is a blessing of work. People won't count it as work, but it is. And so I want to say, beware of valuing what you and others do only from a financial perspective. I know that some young mums feel judged for not being in paid employment because they stay at home raising their kids. To make that choice is often far more difficult a task than being in the workforce. And it also comes at the cost of not being able to buy things. So don't look lowly on yourself if you have made that choice, and don't look down on others who have made that choice as well. When I was growing up, because my mother was an unskilled widow, she worked seven days a week, and I worked out yesterday over 80 hours a week in a fish and chip shop and one lady each week, every Saturday and every Sunday, invited me and my sisters to her home for lunch. For years she gave us the stability that we would have never been able to have. But her caring went unnoticed, even I had forgotten it, because it was non-financial, but it was very significant. How you work is as important as the work that you do but we find ourselves not thinking that way. We think what, our do, what we do is the most important thing. Being a diligent, reliable, honest worker is more important than the power you yield. Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that it's from the Lord that you'll receive the inheritance as your reward because you are serving the Lord Christ. See the eternal perspective there? We work not to be praised by other people, but we are working for the Lord, and we will, we will get His praise. We see the eternal perspective in Jesus' words in John, John 5 both God the Father and God the Son are still at work reversing the consequences of our sin, that is, saving people, and He invites us to share in that work as well. We read it in that last uh, passage that was read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, there is an imperishable eternal reality beyond what you can see now. After this world evaporates, after the transitory nature of this world ends and Jesus is enthroned in glory, ruling everything and over everything, Paul's conclusion at the end of chapter 15 is, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labour is is not in vain. You see, any work that we do passes away with time. Very little of it will last beyond your death. But there is some work that we do that will last for eternity. It's your labour in the Lord. And what is that? You living for the glory of Jesus. As you do that, it saves you and it serves others and it gives Jesus what he deserves and what he will enjoy forever. And so we've covered a lot of ground here in a few minutes and I pray that you've been challenged not to keep doing work the way you always have without questioning it, but to think wisely about it, how to do it, why do you do it, what it achieves, And I want you to explore what you must or should change and how you expend your energy. And that change will go against all that our society says. And change is only possible because of the great work of God in you to reshape and to renew your mind. You see, wisdom, when it comes to work, God's wisdom, is granted by God and it not only protects us in the here and now from sluggardness, but lifts the efforts of our hands and minds to a new level, a level where others can be blessed, where their eternal state can be changed, and God, who will rightly be glorified by all of his creation, is honoured. Isn't that better than you could hope for? tell you what, that gives value to work, doesn't it? And the ability to see what you and others do And to do what honours Christ even more is actually the kind and generous work of God at work in you. Don't underestimate and always remember to thank God when you see that happening in you and others. When you see people doing what is right at work despite the cost to their ease, to their comfort, to their advancement, thank God for that work in them. When you make choices to expend your energy for the blessing of others, thank God for his great work in that. God is at work in us to make us wise when it comes to our work. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are still at work in this broken world to restore it, And thank you for giving us the honour, the ability and the privilege to work alongside you in what you are doing. Please give us the strength and the wisdom to not follow what everybody else says, but to hear what you have to say. And thank you so much that this labour is not wasted. It doesn't go to the grave with us, but it
0: lasts for all eternity. Amen.